Going through a divorce is daunting and can make you feel financially vulnerable. Ampla Finance can help. Unlike other loans, there's no need for any ongoing monthly repayments. You're only charged loan interest on the amount of money used to pay your solicitor's fees as your case progresses, and the easy-to-use online tool keeps you in full control throughout the process. Your loan is normally repaid in full when you reach settlement, so between now and then, you have peace of mind that the cost of your divorce won't impact your day-to-day -day needs. Ampla Finance puts you at the heart of everything they do and can help you to make the fresh start you're looking for. To find out more, click the link in the podcast description or visit www.amplifinance.com. Today I'm going to be talking to mediator, coach and financial neutral as well as as he calls it, jobbing IFA, Tom Farrell. Tom's going to talk to us about the work that he does as a financial neutral. This can help unlock all sorts of problems during mediation, during collaborative uh, law, and during even general roundtable um, meetings. I'm really looking forward to Tom's conversation today, and I really hope you enjoy it. Let's jump right in. Hello and welcome to the Smart Divorce Podcast. I am so happy to be joined today by the wonderful Tom Farrell, who I have wanted to get on this podcast for a very, very long time because Tom actually inspired my journey into working in divorce. When I met him, and he'll probably correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I reckon it's probably uh, seven or eight years ago um, at a course that he was running in London. Um, and so, yeah, very happy for you to be with us today, Tom. Welcome. Thank you very much, Tamsin. It's a pleasure to be here. Fabulous. And you're going to talk to us today about just one part of of the work that you do with divorcing clients. And I know your your work kind of spans great breadth and depth. Um, but so let's start off um, with with an introduction. If you can tell us a bit a bit about the work that you do. Okay. So. Um... Like you, I'm a, a jobbing IFA. I, I run a small uh, financial planning practice uh, and give regulated financial planning advice. Um, but for a very long time now, my entire practice has been focused on uh, people who are journeying through divorce and separation. And uh, so... Uh, I offer a range of other services that are not part of that regulated advice world. Um, and uh, those include coaching individual people who are going through these processes and helping them to understand things. Um, I've also worked for uh, the last 10 or 12 years as a uh, an all-issues family mediator, uh, mediating uh and um, working with other mediators in mediation. But predominantly the work I, I think that people come to me for is that of a financial neutral. Um, and uh, so I've been focused in developing that part of my practice for the last 12, 15 years. Um, and although all of these things are sort of inextricably linked, uh, I 
I do feel very much that that role of the, the, the financial neutral is very often the missing piece of the jigsaw that, that can help to sort of stitch things together. So hopefully we can uh, talk a bit more about how how that might help people. Yeah, absolutely. So explain for us, if you would, um, and if you're not watching this on YouTube, go on to YouTube and watch this because you'll see Tom's fabulous coffee mug that he's drinking. Of. But you have to go on YouTube to watch that. Um, tell us tell us a bit about the work of a financial neutral. So if I'm going through the divorce process and, and perhaps very early on in, in the stages, I might have been to see a solicitor. How does a financial neutral come into my into my life? Well, I, I think that can vary quite a lot. And I think um, also that the way that, that that role comes into play has changed quite dramatically over the last few years. And that's predominantly because um, people have started looking for alternative ways of navigating uh, through these times, uh, particularly when people are trying desperately to keep things amicable to be able to talk to each other and, and work a way through. Um, so historically, the role of financial neutral was one that was developed for a, a divorce process called the collaborative process, where um, a solicitor acts for each person. Uh, everyone sits in a room together. It's a facilitated safe space. Um, and when, when that process was originally developed in America, uh, it was very much seen as uh, a process that should um, integrate with the, the other professional help that's needed, uh, be that uh, emotional support or financial support. And so the role of the financial neutral in that process is, is to um, help everybody concerned navigate their way through the complexities of the finances involved, understand them, uh, level the playing field if there's a disparity in financial understanding between two people and, and very often a disparity of understanding between other professionals as well. Um, if you like to sort of project manage that aspect of the process uh, in a neutral way. And um, so that, that was how I started acting as a neutral. It was seen as something that we, you and I have both taken this specialist accreditation um, to be able to act as a neutral. And when I took it, which was quite a long time ago, um, <laughs> We only really talked about the collaborative divorce process. Um, but I now act as a, as a neutral, I would say, far more often within mediation than I do within the collaborative process. But I also act as a neutral uh, in a more traditional sort of solicitor-led uh, round table and you know letters back it batting backwards and forwards and all of those types of processes as well um uh and i also act directly for people for couples who don't have solicitors and don't have mediators and that's something that perhaps comes a little bit later with a bit more experience and confidence to be able to do that but um it, it it's a very different role 
to that of a financial advisor. You, you need that knowledge behind you and you need the experience of being a financial planner to be able to explain these things, these aspects to people and to understand tax and the movement of assets and all of those things. Um, but the way that I would sort of sit and explain it to clients, and I, uh, I very often will do a sort of, I'll pitch up for 15 minutes free of charge and explain what it is I do and let people decide whether they want me to become a part of their process or not, is to very clearly say this is not regulated financial advice. I'm not going to be telling you where to invest your money or what products to buy or, you know, this is about helping you understand what it is you're dealing with. This is about signposting you to the other bits of advice that you might need. You know, if you have complex issues that might need an, an accountant or uh, a ta an offshore tax specialist or uh, so you very much can act as a, as a project manager, bringing those professional people in. Um, one of the most common aspects might be uh, pensions and actuarial reports for pension sharing. Uh, so one of the things I might do is help people write the instruction and find the actuary to write the report um, so that they're asking the, the questions that they actually really need the answers to rather than 55 questions that just get scattergun fired at people, you know. So, um, uh, but but it is about establishing that sort of trusted neutral role with, within whatever that process might be for everybody concerned uh, so that you can really act for everyone. I, I very much see my duty as a financial neutral to the process itself rather than the individual people. And that's a, a bit of a weird thing to say to people, but I, I, I consider that to be very important. Um, so you can help with, with leveling play, playing fields. You can help with um, everybody's understanding of what they're dealing with. You can help with the, um, getting the correct information in. And, and that's a, 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 a sort of classic mistake that happens with divorce is that people don't gather the information they need from the beginning. Uh, and they don't understand why they need to. Um, and I, by, by people, I mean lawyers as well as clients and mediators as well as clients. You know, there isn't that understanding there that, that perhaps you and I have that we're going to hit a, a brick wall if we don't already have the potentially the answers to those questions. And it may be unforeseen. Um, it's like having a big funnel. You know, you've got to dump all the information in at the top of it so that what comes out at the bottom is is what you need. Yep, absolutely. Um, so there's there's that part of it, which is about helping people understand the technicalities of stuff. Um, there's there's also a whole aspect to the work which is about uh, being in that trusted position and perhaps being able to challenge people's perceptions of what's what's possible, what's not possible, uh, to be able to reflect back to people so that they see both sides of a situation. Um, and also, the more you do this work, of course, the more you've already encountered all the difficulties and challenges that people are dealing with. So 
the more experience you have to bring to bear to to make suggestions, you know, to help people brainstorm and um, be imaginative because despite the, you know, the immense sort of emotional pressure of these situations, what most people want is to do the best they possibly can in those situations and for it to cost as little money as possible and to be as fair, to feel like what they're doing is fair. Um, fair is a bit of an odd word in this situation, as we all know, but um, uh, and reality check with people and say, well, what does that actually mean? You know, if you go ahead and do that, what does what does that look like? So the other the other huge aspect of this, of course, that you and I both encounter a lot is that um, people stumble uh, within these processes. They they reach a point where they know if they if they make a big decision and they have an awful lot of hugely stressful decisions to make all at once, and it can be overwhelming. Uh, they can't make that decision because they have absolutely no idea what it's going to mean to them, and that that causes a ro- you know a huge roadblock in the process. And momentum is so important in these circumstances, and you end up going round and round in little circles because people are afraid to make those decisions because they they really don't know what it's going to mean. Part of that part of the role as well, again in a neutral way, not not sort of you know, uh, um, giving advice in that way, but it's to say, okay, well, if we make certain assumptions about this and if you were to agree to this, then this is what it would mean to you. This is this is what you'd have for a housing budget. This is how much you'd be living on and this is what your investments and pensions might do for you. And this is what you then might need to do in terms of earning money or going back to work or dealing with childcare or, you know, so all of those other aspects. Um, and, and so much of this is about um, emotional support within within these processes to, to actually sort of hold people up so that they, they feel able to make these decisions um, and move forward with them. So uh, I, I actually think it's, uh, that neutral role, finance, you know, as a financial specialist, is absolutely vital, um, and it's it's increasingly being used. And uh, there are more and more people, thankfully, who are sort of qualifying and, and studying to be able to do that work. Um, so uh, it is very much a growing market. Yeah, long may that continue. Um, mm. We would, we I think we. We both or all of us that are accredited by resolution for this work would would be delighted if there were even more of us uh, around and available to do this work um, because we could be used so usefully. If you would talk me through the the process, whether whether you're working in in mediation process or whether it's part of the collaborative process or whether you're working directly with clients. You talked about the first 15 minutes of, of coming to talk to them about what you do. Mm. What does the process look like from, from there? Quite typically, the answer is it depends. But I knew you were going to say um, that. <laughs> um, I, I, it depends also on how often I've worked with the other professionals in the room because 
Uh, and that's also really important. You know, that I, I have certain mediators that I work with all the time who will bring me into absolutely all of their cases. And sometimes my involvement is relatively minimal because they've learned through experience what it is I need to see before I can do anything about anything. And it may be that the case is relatively simple and it's just pensions that need to be dealt with. Or um, So very typically what, what would happen uh, is that I'd go and do my 15 minutes of fame, as I call it, and, and <laughs> you know, give my spiel and say, look, entirely up to you. And I go away again and they talk about it with the, the people that they're working with and they decide whether they're going to engage me or not. I would then agree uh, because the other people in that mix will have given me a general picture of what, what we're dealing with. I'll then agree an amount of time that I, I might need to charge for just to read everything and to assimilate everything uh, and to look at what is missing and what what we still need to get and put timescales to that and explain to everybody why it's really important that we have to get it. You know, so uh, that typically might be half an hour, three quarters of an hour of, of my time. I'm not getting into the really sort of detailed nitty gritty, but it's it's very easy for us to look at that information because we're dealing with it all the time. And we understand what it says to say, actually, that's that's not a proper CETV of a pension. It's it's just evaluation and it might not be what you need because we need all this other information that comes with that. And I know it's a pain, but you're going to have to go back to them and ask for it and ask for all the supporting documentation that comes with it. And I'm a bit, uh, I will tend to say, look, it's not going to be cost effective for me to work with you until we've got everything, because I'm going to hit these stumbling blocks pretty quickly. Um, but in, in the same instance, I, I might be talking carefully to uh, people. I'd, I'd want to have maybe a, 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 an individual Zoom meeting or conversation with each of, each of uh, the people to really get a sense of how, how they're approaching the financial aspects of this, how, how confident they are with the information. Um, what their relationship with finance has been uh, over the years as a, as a part of their relationship with each other. Which of them has driven the big financial decisions or have they made them together? Um, it's, you know, because people quite naturally default to the things they're good at. Absolutely. You know, and um, that's normal. Yeah. Uh, but the, the problem when you get into this situation is that uh, if you've done that for the last 25, 30 years, uh, one of you is going to be feeling pretty cast adrift from all of this stuff because uh, you think, well, I haven't, I really haven't been involved in that aspect of our lives particularly. I didn't engage with our financial advisor. I didn't make those investment decisions. I didn't do the remortgaging. I didn't, you know... Um, they they might be uh, you know conversely completely in control of the the household budget and uh, what's spent on what and you know th these things operate at lots of different levels and so there'll be an, a, a real nervousness there of of suddenly being pushed into this situation where you've got to make all these decisions 
you know, we, we all know, for instance, how stressful buying a house or selling a house is. Well, if you're having to do that in the midst of separating or divorcing, as well as making all these massive potential financial decisions about going back to work or uh, splitting pensions that you don't understand, or, you know, it, it can be uh, really uh, difficult for people to process all of that. So I want to get a sense of that, you know, where where the balance lies in the relationship historically um, and uh, whether that's been an issue between them, you know, Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, have you gone? Have you gone along with these decisions, or have you know? Um, and conversely, the person who's been making all of those decisions is also going to feel under pressure in these circumstances. Is going to think, well, everything I've decided is going to be called into question. You know, my expertise at this, the fact that I've been responsible for it, is going to be scrutinised. And so, I have a job of work to do there initially talking to each of them just to get that the sense of where that lies and to reassure each of them that I can help them. Yeah. You know, um, it's very often it's a sort of typical example, I think, of uh, where, where you have this quite natural sort of uh, relationship with finances where, where one person has sort of driven all this stuff who will come to these processes with a 35-page spreadsheet that explains everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and if there's, a, a you know, a, a level of conflict within that situation, the reaction that is <laughs> that that, that uh, spreadsheet is going to engender is, is not necessarily helpful in these circumstances to either of them. You know, so... Part of my job is, is to be able to say to that person, you've done a brilliant job there. I understand it. I can see what you're trying to say. My job is to help you say it so that you're not mansplaining or whatever it is to <laughs> the everybody uh, this stuff. So I can act as the diplomat, if you like, between, between these people to sort of um, – so that's – Part of that initial process is getting a sense of that and feeding that back to everybody else in, in whatever process I'm working in. So I, I would have permission to talk individually to, to those two people, but also have permission to feed aspects of that back to the mediator or the lawyers to say, look, they're struggling with this aspect of it. I need to, I need to do a bit of... So I might then be able to suggest that I do a bit of coaching work with the person who's struggling. So while we're gathering all that information that we need, instead of everyone just having to sort of sit and not talk about money, there's an aspect of work that I can be doing to keep momentum going, to help somebody get up to speed with, or, or just boost their confidence so that they know that when they're in the room, having to listen to about this stuff and, and, and talk about it, that I can help them voice what it is they want to say. I can help them understand the information that's coming back. And I can sort of normalize those conversations within whatever the process might be. And it's also about, at, in those early stages, is sort of establishing that confidence in both of them that I am going to act in, a, in an honest and neutral way. I'm not taking sides. I'm, I'm there to make their process work. 
And again, if it's professionals that I haven't worked with particularly, I need to establish that trust with them too. Absolutely. On on that point about about trust and um, and honesty and openness, you talked about meeting with the individuals, having permission from the people in the room, and um, and having their individual permission to go back with certain aspects of the conversations that you have. How do you ensure that those conversations only take place in those because? Presumably, people have your contact details. They can track you down <laughs> should they should they want to. Do you ever have a situation where one party kind of feels that they want you to take their side on a certain aspect and, and contact you outside of that? And and how do how do you deal with that? Because I think that's interesting for both parties to understand that there's no and the secret conversations going on behind behind their backs. Yeah. I think I think this is absolutely key. It's a really good question. The, the, the reason that we have process, whatever that might be, actually is to establish a clear set of boundaries. Yeah. Um, so for instance, my terms of business when I when I give that to my to prospective clients and talk it through with them, it talks about being given permission to contact product providers and ask for information and talk to their existing financial advisors because I'm not there to tread on the toes of those relationships either. I'm there to help there too. Um, But it also speaks very specifically to the fact that whatever the process is that these people have decided upon, be it mediation or collaborative divorce or roundtable negotiations with lawyer assistants, I am going to sign up as a neutral to that process. So as an example, if, if if it's a mediation, I actually physically sign their agreement to mediate. I co-sign okay. it as yep. an additional party to that mediation, and I'm bound by the same terms and conditions that, that they are. Um, and a mediator will, will very clearly lay those boundaries about uh you know, it's not helpful actually to try and uh, step outside the process and to. Uh, so you have to be very clear uh, about establishing boundaries, which which isn't to say that you can't have individual conversations with people and do individual work with people. But the key to that is that everybody knows that's happening. Yeah, and uh, this aspect of information sharing is also there in my terms of business. It very clearly says, if you say things that are material to this process, um, an extreme example might be that somebody says to me that they've squirreled some money away somewhere and they haven't disclosed it. Yeah. Um, That doesn't really tend to happen. Uh, (laughs) What happens a lot more often is that that the other person is, is suggesting that that's happening. Yeah. It's actually very rare that, it, that that happens. Um uh I have an absolute duty to, you know, that's a legal requirement uh in terms of divorce. So um one needs to be very, very clear about that. But if somebody says something to me in an individual meeting about how they're feeling, you know, if there's an emotional context, that uh, it's my judgment as to, you know, I, I'm not going to be reporting that back to everybody 
you know, uh, because it's not it's not actually relevant to it's relevant to my understanding and my uh, relationship, uh, professional relationship with that person to sort of help them and to work with them. Um, so those boundaries have to be very clearly laid. Uh, and um, uh, again, it's it's about establishing that that trust. And it's a, it's about the, le- the the sort of levels of information. I, I, one example that springs to mind quite early on in, in um, my career as a as a neutral, I, I was involved in a quite a big money complex case. Um, something that comes up quite often. Uh, might be the subject of what lawyers refer to as inappropriate expenditure. Ah. So somebody, one person has uh, perhaps been having a relationship outside of the marriage or the relationship uh, has uh, been spending money in terms of that. Um, And uh, might therefore be extremely wary about having to relinquish bank statements or credit card statements or that, you know, clearly list <laughs> meals in restaurants that they didn't have with their with their partner, um, expenditure in jewellery shops or um, trips away that don't tally with where they said they were at the time or, you know, what, whatever it is. Yeah. The job of professionals in that circumstance is to establish the, you know, there's blaming people is is not something that goes on uh, from the professional aspect of this. Um, But there's an obvious logic to identifying how much money that is and perhaps compensating for that in some way in terms of talking about how things are going to be settled. So in that in that particular instance, there was quite a significant amount of what one might term inappropriate expenditure, and as a result of that, there was a logjam in terms of sort of releasing this financial information because um, actually that person was really worried that they were going to upset their partner in that situation and make things worse. Uh, but the, what they weren't saying was that they weren't comfortable with that amount of money being identified and sort of ring-fenced as as their responsibility. And so by that stage, I'd done enough work with everybody concerned for it to be agreed that I would sit with all of those bank statements um, and work out the amount and that those statements would be part of the disclosure because they have to be. But the the physical detail of it didn't need to be discussed within the process itself. And actually, everybody felt more comfortable in that regard. The the other person involved felt comfortable with me doing that and didn't really want to know. No. Well, they've got to the point of divorce by this point, haven't they? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and that was part of the reason they were getting a divorce. It wasn't news. Yeah, absolutely. Details not necessary. It can feel like rubbing someone's nose in it a bit in those absolutely. circumstances. So that's that's a situation where um, this whole issue of boundaries and confidentiality and uh, 
the trusted status of the neutral in this process, there had to be that level of trust with absolutely everybody concerned. So lawyers, in this instance, barristers uh, uh, and clients. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, you're absolutely right. The, the boundaries are really important. And, and what's also really important is uh, if people choose to try and step outside those boundaries, which is sort of normal. Again, it's, it's, it's understandable that people might feel like they're not being heard or feel so desperate in situations that they ju they're just trying to get their point across. You have to sort of pull them up a bit and say, you can't do that. You yeah. know, we've agreed how we're, we're going to work. And this is, I can't, I can't engage with you in this way. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you to ask that question in the next meeting, or let's talk together about how you can ask that question in, in, in the next meeting so that you do feel heard. Sure. So there is a big sort of, um, it is like emotional project management <laughs> in, in that it sense. Is. You know, uh, there's a lot of juggling that goes on that, that has very little to do with technical financial understanding or, or knowledge, which is why we go through this accreditation. It's why we do the, the training. Uh, as you know, you know, the uh, the benchmark for even attempting that accreditation is that you're already a, a pretty highly qualified financial advisor. So the, the technical knowledge is assumed from the outset. It's, it's about having a, a good understanding of um, the processes that you might be involved in. Because uh, yeah, it's quite easy to stomp all over that if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, you, absolutely. You and I have both encountered situations where that happens. Sadly. <laughs> Sadly, yes. Um, I, it would be useful, I think, if you, and I'm, I'm asking you this on the hop, so... <laughs> <laughs> really put you on the spot but I think it might be useful just if you've got an example of of a case where your work within the within the couple and in within the divorce process has, has really unlocked come, moving from a kind of head banging situation where there was real conflict and, and the couple just couldn't move on to actually being able to kind of unlock it with the work that you you did as a neutral and I'm sure you must have thousands of of examples yeah well I'll, I'll stick i'll stick to the same the same case because it's sort of in in my mind you know that that was an example where uh actually they had they had reached a complete impasse and it was it was costing them thousands of pounds in solicitors letters batting backwards and forwards about this this inability to disclose this information um there was a very real uh possibility that as a result of that the process was going to break down and the, the person who was withholding that information wouldn't tell anybody why I had established enough trust within that working relationship for them to tell me why and for me then to be able to tell everybody else why in a way that they felt comfortable with and to suggest a route forward that would enable the log jam to be unblocked and for us to move forward. Um, and I, I think 
you know, that that does happen quite often. It can it can also happen in um it doesn't need to, it's not always necessarily all about the sort of emotional aspect of, of things. It can be at a, quite a highly technical issue. So exactly the same case, which was quite a big case, we managed to uh, just by again having that depth of information and understanding that depth of information in terms of the the disclosure that had come in and uh, uh, being able to look at their financial situation. They they bought um, a holiday home overseas off plan. You know, so it hadn't been built yet. They they put oh, a hundred thousand pound deposit down on this dream holiday home uh, development, um, and they had the balance to pay. Um, I, I won't say exactly where it was <laughs> in case <laughs> somewhere in Europe. Watch this video. But uh, it wasn't in Europe. It was it was somewhere overseas that uh, was uh, you know the. Um, had had uh, limited connections to the mainland, let's say that, and was subject to the most horrendous tornado that eliminated its connection to the mainland and flattened the development completely. A word. So, wow. um, and of course, in this happened in the midst of the process. Sure. Um, the purchase of that off-plan holiday home had very much been driven by one of the two of them sure. and was a bone of contention to start with. Oh, no. And uh, uh, effectively, the £100,000 disappearing down the drain in the midst of all of this could, could have been an absolute disaster. Um, but because of the technicalities of it, because effectively that money was lost uh we were able to use that in um within the settlement to enable movement of other assets that had gains attached to them ah, okay wow by, yeah. so we could move the loss to the person actually who hadn't wanted to buy the thing in the first place <laughs> and by doing that gains. create the use of that loss against something else that we moved to them that that would otherwise have created a massive tax bill. Sure. Uh, we actually saved about £60,000 by doing that. That's genius. Well, I, you, 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 <laughs> this is where um, when you create a situation where people are actually positively engaging in the process mm. and being uh, open to imaginative ideas, yeah. then... Um, uh, the solutions that come out, uh, because frankly, the last thing that anybody should want is is for a judge to be making these decisions. The last Absolutely. thing any judge wants is to be making these decisions. Yeah, um, because there's no nuance to it. Yeah, no, you know, they they will they're busy people, and uh, they're going to look at. The disclosure for a little bit and they're going to make a judgment there's there's no imagination there because they haven't got time for it there's no nuance they might see a, a report from an actuary or um and they will just default to what seems sensible at the time and very often that's not 
actually the best solution for people. So I think, you know, if you can act as a a, a trusted person within that that process to be able to say, you know, let's just think outside the box a bit here. Let's uh, uh, let's think about what we can do here. Um, and and so those those solutions do come up uh, and and can be incredibly cost effective, but can also be incredibly um, life affirming in a way. You know, there there are points in these processes that are really positive from an emotional. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the difference that will have had in the move from it being a negative bone of contention yeah. to actually this is this has gone horribly wrong, but it's also creating an opportunity to to save some tax, whatever. It that's massive and that that's going to change that relationship as well because it's going to remove something that was a bone of contention and yeah. allow that couple to yeah. move forward, which is so, so incredibly important. So yeah, totally, uh, totally see that. Tom, I knew our conversation would be fascinating and I could genuinely speak to you for hours picking your brains on this subject. Well, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Have I missed anything? Is there something that I haven't asked you that, that I really should have done that you you're, you think would be important for our listeners to hear? I, I think the thing I would say, that the most important thing, and I, I absolutely passionately believe this, that people will think that involving more people in their process will cost them more money. If um, if you can create a genuine team environment of the right professional people at the right time, uh, it doesn't matter how many people are involved, you will spend less money and the emotional cost to you will be that much less too. Um, uh, so uh, that that would be something that, I, uh, you know, I think um, that's a difficult one for potential clients to grasp. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, because the, the, the frustrations that are there in terms of uh, and completely understandable frustrations in terms of the yeah. eye-watering cost that can be uh, incurred by people who frankly should be able to spend that money on themselves and their families rather than people sure. like us um <laughs> you know uh will find that hard to accept yeah but yeah. my experience of of that uh if you have a team of people who work together effectively trust one another to be able to let go or the the person whose job it really is to deal with those aspects, uh, you'll get the right advice from the right people at the right time. It will cost you less money and it'll cost you a lot less emotionally too because it'll be quicker and easier to navigate your way through. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. That's a that's a vitally important point. And the and the time the time that it takes to resolve things and the the shortness of time that you spend in that limbo yeah. situation is is so so incredibly important to everybody emotionally as well so tom thank you so very much for your time today i've absolutely loved talking to you hopefully we may get to do one of these again because i'm sure there's loads of aspects that we haven't covered that we could uh, 
we could carry on with. Thank you for asking me. It's an absolute pleasure. I will see you all again soon. Hi, and I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Smart Divorce Podcast. If you would like to get in touch, please have a look in the show notes for our details or go onto the website www.smartdivorce.co.uk. Also, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify and you wouldn't mind leaving us a lovely five-star review, that would be fantastic. I know that lots of our listeners are finding this is incredibly helpful in their journey through separation, divorce and dissolving a civil partnership. Also, if you would like some further support, we do have a Facebook group now. It's called Separation, Divorce and Dissolution UK. Uh, Please do go on to Facebook, search up the group and we'd be delighted to have you join us. Um, The one thing I would say is do please answer their membership questions. Okay, have a great day and take care.